Welcome to Deleted Saves. On this episode, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt on PS4. Dear listener, have you ever bounced so hard off a video game that you left dents in the motherfucker? But just because you, or I in this case, was overall lost as to why this game was so well received, that does not mean it is not, in and of itself, a work of art. Well, let's get into it with 2015's The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. The Witcher series first began in 1986 by Polish author, and I hope he will forgive me if I mispronounce this, Andrzej Sapkowski, in a small magazine named Fantasica, and was so well received by fans that they demanded more from Sapkowski that he wrote an astonishing 14 more novels and short stories in this new Witcher universe, revolving around Geralt of Rivia, a monster-hunting nerd who wanted to be a hero, but things just got out of control. I say astonishing, because at the time of the debut of the series, the world was still in the throes of the Cold War. The almost 50-year stalemate between the United States and the then-Soviet Union, that with each passing decade promised first atomic and then later complete and total nuclear annihilation for the whole world should one side or the other win or lose its contests of one-upmanship and political grandstanding, among other things. So how did that real-life contest end? Well, it finally ended during the George H.W. Bush administration when the Soviet Union effectively ran out of money and went bankrupt. No great speeches toppled walls. No mass protests were able to shake the East versus West debate to its core. No final battles. Any of that shit we love as a storytelling species. Nope. Money, or lack of it, ended the debate. Sure. That makes many people believe that capitalism is the ultimate victor in any situation, and that economic strength equals genuine freedom, while blatantly ignoring and explaining away the cognitive dissonance associated with unchecked, unrestricted, or unregulated capitalism, driving millions into poverty globally to enrich the few. And, well, here we are, I guess. I'm not going to debate philosophy, history, economics, or politics here, as this is a video game show, and there are more directly knowledgeable people out there who can wax and wane on these topics as they see fit. But just know communism, as it has been practiced, does not work because we do not follow the actual dictates of that philosophy, so we don't actually know what would happen, although we can theorize, and it is completely different than socialism, so get that bullshit out of your head right now. That does not mean capitalism is the one and only way to think so is foolishness. We just have been forced to have no room in modern society for anything else to work or take root. Anyway, as I was saying, books like this, with the success it had, just did not often happen behind the titular Iron Curtain, which the nation of Poland was. A spoil of war gifted to the Soviet Union along with all of Eastern Europe by Western Europe and the United States to keep the Russians happy in the immediate aftermath of World War II. But throughout the early 1990s, as the former Soviet states broke away and returned to being their own nations, the Witcher novels took off, with Sapkowski even being labeled the Polish Tolkien, and the novels and short stories eventually receiving English translations starting in 2008. Geralt, and all the characters he meets along the way, would eventually form the bedrock of direct inspiration and focus for Polish game developer and publisher CD Projekt and CD Projekt Red. 
The novels and short stories draw heavily from Slavic folklore, which is often horrifically dark and grim, many times a reflection of the environment and its people. But it was then amplified as a condemnation of life under Soviet rule, and posed as an antithesis of the traditional fairy tale, more of a fractured fairy tale, to use the term. If any of this sounds fun to you, well, dear listener, I hope you can get something out of it. It sounded up my alley years ago, so I started reading one of the Witcher novels. I got about one chapter in. I then had the same thought about that novel as I did when, many years ago, I tried to read one of the Harry Potter novels, and that thought was as follows. This boring piece of shit is for somebody, but that somebody is not me. I wanted to like the novel. I wanted to root for my people, as it were, as the majority of my ancestors come from Poland and scattered Eastern European countries. You know, those countries that if I visited and said, hey, my ancestors came from here, I would get someone saying, go home, Yankee, at the barrel of an automatic rifle, much like most Americans would when visiting even supposedly friendly foreign nations and trying to find a way to fit in. Unfortunately, The Witcher as a novel did not win me over. Worse, I did play the first Witcher game many years ago when it was released in 2007, as a friend of mine had a PC copy. The only way it it was playable back then, of course, and still is now. I played for about an hour, and it ran like somebody hooked up a mouse and keyboard to a sack of rotting potatoes. If you are someone who likes that level of janky challenge, then fucking good for you. But I decided that The Witcher would be dumped firmly in the fuck-this-shit-I'm-out pile, and that would be that. But here I am, about to get into discussing the meat of a 2015 sequel to the sequel, and my time with the game. So as you can guess, something has changed. Like the twist of an incredibly bad novel where you can see all the plot points coming a mile away. And when I say meat of the story, I mean the same plot points I got to over and over again, as I kept restarting this title no less than five times since its debut, trying to really understand why I should give a fuck. So, we begin as Geralt of Rivia, monster hunter and leather ass-covering enthusiast. Geralt is heavily scarred, yet handsome as a man, with snow-white hair and the physique of a CrossFit enthusiast. The biggest giveaway that he is something more than human are his eyes, which are yellow cat's eyes. The giveaway that he is a witcher, a mutant modified by harrowing magics, someone to be hated and reviled. And if it weren't for the fact that he and the other witchers were so skilled at dispatching the various monstrosities haunting the countryside, they would have been killed outright by the uneducated populace. Geralt has been on the road for a while with his old mentor from his training days at Castle Kaer Morn, where his brand of witcher, the Wolf School, trains. They are hunting a griffin a dangerous and large-winged predator that normally eats horses and is powerful enough to carry them off, but will also snack on humans if it has no other choice. They arrive at the small provincial village of Schittstanisberg. Look, I don't care enough to look up the actual in-game name, so here's what we get. A miserable hamlet of farmers and passing thugs in the direct warpath of the nation of Nilfgaard, who seeks to take over the lands. A lot of this was established in the previous games, and Nilfgaard is Roman-esque conquerors who seek to prove human dominance in a world of elves, dwarves, vampires, humans, wizards, and all the other fantasy shit we know and love. 
I forget at this point how these all fit together and why, but for now, there's a griffin to kill and even shit Stanisburg will fall. And it's not Geralt's job to fix that, which I greatly appreciated, and for once in a fantasy game, we didn't need to concern ourselves with the geopolitics when our job was to hit critters with sharp sticks. Geralt also carries two swords, a steel one for humans and a silver one for monsters. And thank the gods, he automatically draws the right one for the right job when the time comes. Geralt is also a small-time magician, an alchemist, augmenting his sword-fighting skills with potions and poison that can help accelerate the damage against both mortal and monstrous foes, and spells that help repel damage, set small fires, and confuse the mind, among others. Very Jedi of him. Making a plan to meet his mentor later down the road, Geralt goes off on his own to do what witchers do. Ask the locals if any bandits or monsters need slaying for coin. And with a war on, business is good. Geralt will regularly be attacked by thugs willing to kill him because either poverty or racism, and any horde of literal ghouls, zombies, giant bugs, water zombies, water monsters of humanoid origin, and a lot of other oh, low-level horrors that he can easily chop and slice his way through as he rides across the countryside on his horse, Roach. Many of the small stories are quite interesting, including the hunt for a ghost of a well that only appears in daylight, noon specifically, quite a neat take on the normal ghost myth, a hunter tracking what might or might not be a werewolf, and the local Nifgardian garrison hiring him to deal with deserters and other critters because it would look bad to the high command, if they were eating soon-to-be Nilfgaardian locals, ultimately to the showdown with the massive winged creature in the form of the griffin, who is even more pissed off and vicious because its mate was murdered by other hunters and now requires killing like any other pest. But why is Geralt even here? Because he is tracking down his off-again, on-again girlfriend Yennefer, a sorceress supreme, who said to rendezvous nearby, he meets up with her and, well, I'm just going to start laying this out. Yennefer is a reprehensible fucking pile of shit as a character. Honestly, I hated her. Unfortunately, none of the women Geralt interacts with are really good. I get that they are supposed to all be powerful and intelligent and complex with tragic backstories because they are women suffering in a male-dominated world of raping and pillaging with entire kingdoms dancing at their fingertips because of the magic they wield. But not one of them is interesting or worth a good goddamn, and I can't be arsed to give half a shit whether they live or die. I wouldn't let any of them piss on me if I was on fire. And if you read anything further into that statement than surface words, please go drown yourself in a truck full of wet cement. Anyway, Yennefer drags Geralt before Emperor... Let's see if I can pronounce this set of proper nouns... M here. I'm here? Maybe that's it. Emperor Hitler here is the biological father of Ciri, a young woman who is trained with the witchers, but for some reason isn't one herself, but is the inheritor of an ancient elven bloodline and is known as the child of the elder blood, and is being hunted by just about everyone, but in this case, the wild hunt in particular, the boogeymen of this setting, who look like frost-coated knockoffs of the bad guys from the movie Willow mainly because she can manipulate time and space. Oh boy, here we go. Fantasy having a potential time travel plot. We all know how well those work out, and the massive, moist, gaping plot holes those stories leave for themselves. 
And speaking of gaping holes, The Witcher 3 has to be the most sex-filled fantasy game I've ever played, as Geralt, in his capacity of Witcher and Mutant, is sterile and cannot pass on or get STDs. They go to great lengths to point this out repeatedly, so all the single sorcerer's ladies want a taste of his battle-scarred hog. Again, not that I am necessarily bothered by this, but it gets silly fast. But anyway, Baron Mussolini, Lord of Stalingrad, yes, we get it, he's modeled after some bad men from the real world of the 20th century, wants Geralt to find and return Ciri because Geralt has taken her under his wing and acts as her adoptive father. So, of course, he is the best person to return her to the kingdom of Autocratica, to be used as a weapon. She has been seen in any of three places, so Geralt has to go check each one and find her, solving local problems along the way for levels, trash, and cash. So the first place I went, where I felt the game was directing me to go along the expected path, was the land of Velen, yet another provincial shitbox full of monsters, miserable farmers, and thugs. I spent time wandering the world map, as you are supposed to do in modern fantasy games, doing side quests and gathering resources to upgrade my swords, potions, and armor. And by now I had collected more level-level armor with minor adjustments and of various types than most other fantasy games would give you during the entire game. Fucking Christ. I will say this world map is immense, and full of more markers for loot, side quests, landmarks, collectibles, and main quest side trips than the average Ubisoft game, it would make those developers weep in jealousy. I quickly lost the fucking point of why I was even doing this, aside from wandering the land to see weird shit. Eventually, I made my way to the mud fort Martin Bailey of Velen, lorded over by the Bloody Baron, a man I was disgusted to happen to share a name with, with this comical take on Henry VIII in the form of an ultra-obese old mercenary who drove away his family with his drunken rages but we don't know that until later. The Baron is willing to exchange what he knows of Ciri as long as Geralt returns his missing wife and daughter, who he at first did not admit to driving away. The daughter, a grown woman, is now a mercenary at nearby Oxenfurt, which is certainly a name, I guess, and of course wants nothing to do with him, but is more worried about her mother, an old woman who is in the the mortal servant of the crones, three powerful beyond all reason witches, who live in a sort of nearby swamp, and who eat the local children, and are nigh on indestructible. Geralt has to bargain with these three disgusting blights on sanity and life to free the woman, which he does in his gravelly monotone. Now, The Witcher 3 is another game where choices have consequences, again, as many modern games do but the developers did try to make them more subtle and far-reaching, such as dealing with the crones. Per this example, I was to go to a location and do a thing. Look, I forget what, but this was something that would have made them more powerful. But at said location, there is a demon living in a tree that promises to keep the crones busy so you can free the woman, provided you let it out. You know what? I let the demon out, who takes the form of an apocalyptic doom horse. Apparently, this was the really wrong answer, I found out later, for while doing so frees the woman and indeed saves all the kids she is living with, who are about to be the crone's dinner, but the correct answer was to let all the kids get turned into kinder souffle and spare the world a greater doom. Such are the decisions this grim, dark fantasy wants you to make. Well, fuck that. 
Anyway, I got the daughter and wife back to the Sloppy Seconds Baron and found out he beat his wife so bad that she lost their would-be second child while she was pregnant. And that was the last straw for his family. So, of course, Geralt knows of a powerful ritual to resurrect the dead child, who is now haunting the Baron and will kill him, to turn the dead kid into a friendly protector spirit, provided they don't fuck up the ritual and the Baron is willing to embrace the Chucky-sized ghoul the spell turns the dead infant into. Well, I pulled it off, and they reburied the dead child on the grounds and turned her into a happy luck ghost. When Geralt returns the next day to see how it's going, he sees Velen in an uproar, and the mercenaries squabbling over who will be the next to rule, as during the night the Bloody Baron hung himself from the courtyard tree out of guilt for all that he did. In this moment, Geralt voiced the exact thought I was having after going through all this horseshit to get information on Ciri, with a glass-in-throat growl of, What the fuck? And that, and I, wasn't even a third of the way through the game. It was at this point, after doing going through this forest and dell, leveling up to level 20, finding armor and weapons aplenty, having hot wizard sex with a sorceress, and watching a drunk monster hang himself after unleashing death itself in the form of a black horse, and playing for a bit as Siri as she teleported through a chase scene, and I put The Witcher 3 down. I figured I'd get back to it in a few days. Then another game I wanted to play came out. A few days stretched into months. And by the time nine months had gone by, I came back to The Witcher. I started the game back up, and I realized I had no idea where I was, what I was doing, or how the game played. So I restarted. I think I got as far as choosing not to have hot wizard sex with a sorceress along the way, while trying to stray true to another morally bankrupt sorceress Geralt had his eye on, the red-headed Triss, whom for two games claimed to be his girlfriend because he had, at the time, the time-honored trope of amnesia, and I put the game back down. I returned to it a year later, and had to start again for the same reason as the first time. I would do this a total of five times, each time reaching the same level of completion with the Bloody Baron questline, each time at least a year apart from the last, before just giving up on The Witcher 3. And that, dear listener, is where it has stayed to this day, in this case on my shelf, untouched, unloved, and most certainly unfinished. Fuck this shit. I'm out. So why am I talking about this game, then? Why waste our collective time with this? Because despite this, I get this game was a true work of art. Despite the fact that it's, for me, mostly shit. What CD Projekt and CD Projekt Red created was a real project of love that put its predecessors to shame. Considering that the first game, released a mere eight years earlier, played like an overly complicated puppet show run by jittery puppeteers loaded up on meth in a setting populated by dead-eyed sentient sex dolls, to something full of complex characters, of whom Geralt is not one, and be gorgeously produced and decorated, and have truly human-looking characters and even monsters that look like they could truly live in their world, and practically pop out of the screen to have a conversation with the player, show their dedication to the craft and willingness to improve. Was there tons of problems with the game launch? Absolutely. I saw, as many did, 
The bug reports and the videos of the catastrophic and humorous bugs upon launch that required tons of patches to fix, which by the time I got the game was running smoothly with very little problems. Hey, with a game this large and complex, there would be issues. At least they were willing to fix them. Unlike some other companies I could mention. Is it loaded with problematic characters? Fuck yes it is. But that is not just the writing, but also part of the drama of the piece. Was there crunch to get this game out on time? Absolutely there was, like most every company does these days. No matter how much they try to correct it, it is part of the culture of making games, and it can never be forgiven, no matter who cleans up their act. But still, despite all this, it's a lovely game based on folklore we don't hear much about, but is still somewhat familiar, and from a time period where it was dangerous to publish it. It's not, say, African folklore, which if you read any of that is some really wild and wonderful shit and should definitely be explored if someone were brave enough to give a team the funding to do it right. But it's not bad, especially from a time of high communism and state oppression. There are plenty of strange and wonderful ideas created in the fiction, and with lots of good points going for it. But that being said, I just couldn't get it to click for me. I tried over and over, hoping that this time would be the time it would click for me. It's not like it hasn't happened before. I've had games that started out bad, but I changed my mind and had a blast. The Witcher 3 is another of those games the greater games media couldn't help but fall all over themselves and onto their own swords to praise. But just not for me. I went and picked up a copy of The Witcher 2, Assassins of Kings, in the Xbox 360 for an Xbox 360 that I hadn't turned on in almost a decade, and by that point had Red Ring so much it was practically brain-dead to begin with and could no longer recognize its own built-in memory slot just to see if I can get this game to click for me before I gave up and returned the game to the used game store and took my 360 off life support and let it pass away peacefully. Hell, I even watched the first season of the... I guess streaming shows now what we call Netflix stuff. No longer regular old network TV, but TV is the medium by which it comes to us, just to see if I could get it. Well, I can see why Henry Cavill got to play Superman. He's a handsome dude who isn't overly offensive. And he did okay in the role of Geralt. I hated everyone else's characters. But sorry, still didn't click. I tried watching a Let's Play by a favorite old Let's Player to see if the game got really good 50 hours in. But even I got bored with the series about the same place I got bored with the game and stopped watching. So I don't want to hear any fucking horseshit from anyone about not being fair and not giving this piece of pop culture a good try. The Witcher 3 just ain't for me, but that doesn't mean I don't think it shouldn't exist. In fact, I was so put off of any other CD Projekt Red game that by the time the next property arrived, the now infamous Cyberpunk 2077, Based upon a tabletop role-playing game, and Jesus Christ on a leaky raft made of government cheese, how many times have I talked about games based on licensed tabletop properties on this show, so much that I'm beginning to think I'm the only video game podcast that even covers these type of games? I was already trepidatious about it. Well, I wasn't even shocked by the litany of issues that showed up with that game. When a buddy of mine played Cyberpunk and told me he got to a section of the city where it was raining motorcycles, I could only chuckle and nod sagely. Sounds like a CD Projekt game to me, I thought. So as you can if you can't tell, if they are getting any more future money from me, it will be through their GOG alternative to Steam, 
where I will pick up old games I liked and never got around to from the Windows XP and earlier years that they somehow got run on Windows 11. I call that a fair trade. So where do we stand at the end of the day with a game I didn't finish, but I'm reviewing anyway? Well, as we know from professional reviews, you don't need to finish a game to talk about it or have an opinion on it. And I cannot help but come back to the idea this is definitely game of the year material for someone else. For me, this isn't a thing. I can't even get heated about it. This was just an empty experience and an empty piece of media. If you enjoyed it, awesome. If not, that's awesome too. If you never even tried it, that's awesome three. I'm happy the work of the author found a Western audience, and I'm happy Eastern Europe got on the map in the field of games. That in and of itself is a real bit of real-world magic that is impossible to deny. But otherwise, this fantasy has reached its finality with me. Thank you for listening. Deleted Saves. We'd like to thank Brad, Keith Gasper, Orden Wells, and Mass Lama for being patrons of the show. If you would like to become a patron of the show, please go to patreon.com and check out Deleted Saves podcast. All donations go directly towards maintaining the show itself. Thank you.